where we're at, uh, there, there should be an outline in your bulletin. There are printed messages, as always, at both exits. We're working through a series on the church, and I've, this is the third message I'm dealing with resolving various kinds of conflict in the church. You say, why are you spending so much time on that? The answer is because it's really, really important to the Lord that churches work through conflict in a godly manner. And as we'll see today, even godly church leaders get into conflict with one another. And so it's really, really important for them to work on it. And that's another reason I'm spending three weeks on it, because it does take work and understanding in in applying these things. And so um, today we want to look at resolving personality and methodology differences. If you missed it, we dealt with doctrinal differences. Then last week with when somebody sins or wrongs you, sins against you or wrongs you, or vice versa, you do that to someone else. Now today it's just personality issues and methodology, and I'm going to read from Acts 15, 36 to 41, a story you're probably familiar with of um, something that happened after the first missionary journey uh, with Paul and Barnabas. We read, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brethren in every city which we've in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark, he's the author of the second gospel, by the way, along with them also. But Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Uh, Mark had bailed out on him during the first missionary journey. And there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another, and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. And he was traveling through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. I have not read Leslie Flynn's book, Great Church Fights, but the title intrigues me, and it sounds like one I would uh, be interested in reading, but I did read a story that he tells in it about two porcupines who were in the freezing north woods, and uh, they huddled together to keep warm, but when they got close to each other, they stuck each other with their quills, and so they had to move apart. And so he says they, they needed each other for warmth, but they needled each other and couldn't be close. And, you know, church members are often like those porcupines. We need each other, but we sometimes needle each other. Uh, Vance Havner made the wry observation. He said there are many porcupine Christians They have their good points, but you can't get near them. Well, if you've been in the church for any length of time, I am sure that you have been around somebody whose personality just grated on yours. 
you're supposed to love them, you know that. But if you were honest, you would say, you know, I really don't like them. It's just difficult to get along with them. Or if you've served the Lord in some capacity, you've probably been around someone who said, I think we should do the Lord's work this way. And you thought, there's 15 problems with that way. My way is better than their way. Their way is wrong. My way is right. And again, uh, there was a clash. Now, I wish I were only talking hypothetically, but I know from many years of ministry that what I'm saying is reality. And I hope I'm not describing anyone's marriage, but I could well be because some marriages have personality and methodology clashes as well. Uh, We are just very different people, aren't we? Now, it's important that we deal with such situations in a biblical way for several reasons. First of all, as I pointed out last week, the command to love one another is not a minor command in the New Testament. In fact, Jesus says it's the second greatest commandment. Uh, And the Apostle John goes so far as to say, If you don't love your brother whom you have seen, you can't even love God whom you've not seen. So it's linked to the greatest commandment to love the Lord our God. Also, as we've seen in this series, Christian unity is not a minor uh, theme in the New Testament. The night before Jesus died, he prayed that his followers would be perfected in unity so that the world would know that the Father had sent him. And so it's not a command we can just say, oh, well, don't get along too bad and move on. We need to work at love and unity. Another reason we need to work at it is I have seen Christians who get discouraged when they witness a conflict in a local church Maybe they are criticized themselves for their service and they just say, ah, phooey. You know, if that's what I get when I serve the Lord, I'm done. And they drop out of serving the Lord. I've even seen some who grow disillusioned or cynical with the Christian faith and say, oh, those Christians, they talk about love, but they're all a bunch of hypocrites and they're no more loving than the world. And so they... um, just assume wrongly, well, Christianity doesn't work, and they've even fallen away from the Christian faith. And so really, really, really important that we learn how to resolve our personality and methodology differences according to Scripture. Now, in our text, Luke reports this clash between two great men of God, Paul and Barnabas. And I have to be honest in saying it's not a pretty picture. You know, I wish that he had reported that after their disagreement, they sat down, they prayed together, they talked it through, and they amicably agreed, you know, I think we need to go different ways. God bless you, brother. God bless you. And lived happily ever after. But that's not the picture we get. There's this unpleasant rupture in in the close working relationship of these two men of God. And I would guess that Paul and Barnabas both grieved greatly over it in the 
years after it happened. But the lesson for us is that as Christians, we need to be diligent to maintain unity and continue serving the Lord in spite of our personality and methodology differences. And I'm going to make four observations about our text. The first one is that to maintain unity, recognize that personality and methodology differences may exist even among mature godly believers. I think we're often naive when we think, oh, if we were just all spiritually mature, there would never be a clash. We'd all get along, everything would be wonderful. And I agree, our clashes would be less frequent, less severe uh, as we grow in the Lord. And hopefully, the more we mature in the Lord, the more calmly we can sit down and talk through in a friendly manner our uh, differences. But the reality is, until we're all perfectly sanctified in heaven, there will be these kinds of differences. And sometimes, especially when you get two strong leaders, Paul and Barnabas are about the top of the rank, there's going to be severe clashes going on. Uh, Four things to note about this clash. First of all, personality and methodology differences can arise between those who share the same theology. You know, it's not always, well, he thinks that and I think this about the Bible. No, Paul and Barnabas were on the same page pretty much. They had just gone to the Jerusalem council where they strongly both on the same side defended salvation by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. And they both uh, were right there together on that doctrine. Also in Acts we read that they had worked together in the church in Antioch for about a year or more teaching the believers and I'm sure they had to sit down and and talk about basic doctrine, say, where are you at on this? Where are you? And they were in agreement on these things. But now, their personalities clash, as I'm going to explain, over a practical matter of ministry. Should we take Mark along on the second journey or not? A second thing to note is that personality and methodology differences can arise between those who are godly, and fully committed to the cause of Christ. Uh, Paul and Barnabas were not new believers. They had both walked with God for years. In Acts 11.24, it describes Barnabas as a good man. Uh, He was full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And it says in that same verse, the Lord used him to bring considerable numbers to saving faith. Paul is described in Acts as being filled with the Holy Spirit. And so you've got two men who are fully committed to God. They are fully committed to God's purpose. They've risked their lives for the sake of the gospel. And yet, now they have this clash. A third thing about personality and methodology differences is that they can arise between those who have served the Lord together for years in the cause of Christ. And Paul and Barnabas had a long history of working together. When Paul was first converted and he went down to Jerusalem, uh, or up to Jerusalem, however you want to say it, went south from where he was saved uh, to Jerusalem, everyone was afraid of him. 
Uh, they thought, yeah, yeah, sure, he's converted. He's just infiltrating our ranks so he can find more people to persecute. Barnabas was the one who went and heard Paul's testimony. He believed him, and he got Paul an entrance into the apostolic circle and into the early church there. Later, Paul had moved up to Tarsus. Barnabas was in Antioch, and he went over and recruited Paul and brought him back to Antioch, and they labored together there uh, for a good while. It was while they were serving in Antioch that the Holy Spirit directed, separate Paul and Barnabas for the work to which I've called them, and they went out with the church's blessing on that first missionary journey. So they had been together in the spiritual battle. The clash erupted out of a godly concern on Paul's part to go back and see how these new churches were doing, some of them under persecution. And uh, so both men, again, had a heart for the well-being of the church. They were on the same page with that, and yet uh, they now clash. So serving together for years, even in the cause of Christ, doesn't erase personality differences that can lead to strong clashes. Uh, A fourth thing to note about these kinds of differences, personality and methodology conflicts, resolving them may require the help of an outside party. Uh, There's no record, I wish there were, in Acts 15 that Paul and Barnabas went to the um, elders in Antioch or uh, strong church leaders and said, hey, can you help us out here? There's no record of that. But later, when two women in the church in Philippi were having a clash, Paul wrote in Philippians 4, 2 and 3, he said, I urge Yodia and I urge Syntyche, that's the names of the two women, to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. It's interesting, Paul does not confront these women as being in sin. He doesn't say, you guys are in sin, you need to repent and resolve your difference. And so I'm assuming that they were having a similar kind of personality or methodology conflict. They were involved in the cause of the gospel. And so Paul recruits this unnamed He calls him my true companion. We don't know who he was. Um, He may have been Epaphroditus and says, uh, please help these faithful women to work through their conflict. Now, anytime a mediator comes in, he needs to be a mature, uh, committed Christian. In Galatians 6.1, Paul says, you who are spiritual, help those who are having trouble. Uh, Someone who can apply biblical principles in a fair and um, objective manner, someone who is not going to take sides but listens to both sides to hear uh, both perspectives, needs to be somebody who can be open and direct and truthful. You know, Paul didn't beat around the bush and say something like, you know, I, I hear there may be a problem there in Philippi. He names these two women. Uh, how would you like to be Yodia or Syntyche? We'll meet them in heaven someday. 
uh, the whole church heard this letter read, Iodius and Tyche, oh. And not only the whole church, but the church now for two millennia have known about these two sisters who are having conflict in the Lord. Um, and a mediator needs to be affirming and positive as possible. Uh, Paul affirms these women. He says, they share my struggle in the gospel. He assures them that their names are written in the book of life. He's, so he's not doubting their salvation. And that just says, if you get in a conflict, don't immediately say, oh, I don't think so-and-so is saved. You know, we go to those extremes and we attack their spiritual walk. Um, you can't attack somebody's motives until you find out what are their motives. And so we have to sit down and talk and work it through. But the point is, uh, we need to recognize these kinds of things can exist among those who are godly people, involved in the work of the Lord, committed to the Lord, to his gospel, all of the above. A second step in maintaining unity is try to identify the real nature of the difficulty. And I use the word try because I'm acknowledging it is not always easy to sort issues out. Um, But try and disengage your emotions as much as possible and answer these five questions as objectively as you can. First of all, is the conflict a theological difference, a personal wrong due to spiritual immaturity, different personalities, or different methodologies? And yes, it can be all of the above in one big package. But, you know, we need to be careful because, frankly, it always sounds better to say, well, he's off doctrinally, and I'm right doctrinally. Boy, that sounds spiritual. And so we dig in there rather than admit, you know, I have to be honest, his personality just grates on my personality. That doesn't sound quite as spiritual. Uh, It's easier to label the other person as spiritually immature or accuse him or her of sin than, again, it is to recognize my own log in my eye, my shortcomings, and my faults. Now, in this case, as we've seen, both Paul and Barnabas were spiritually mature men. They were both committed to the Great Commission. Um, As far as we're told, this conflict didn't erupt because one man sinned against the other, although I am going to argue in a moment, I think they got into sin in the way they uh, dealt with the conflict. But What I'm saying is, often this is hard to sort this out. It's a mixed bag of what is the source of this difference. A second question to ask is, is there a biblical principle at stake? And again, here we have to be careful because sometimes there's more than one principle. I can hear Paul in this conflict saying, Barnabas, no one puts his hand to the plow and turns back. He's not worthy of the kingdom. Uh, Mark should not go. Citing Jesus. And I can hear Barnabas coming back and saying, Paul, our God is a God of the second chance. I mean, look at Jonah. Look at Peter. Both men failed the Lord and God still used them. Uh, Mark deserves another chance. Biblical principle. Both men had scripture they could stand on. 
Um, but I think because of opposing personalities, differences, uh, they were emphasizing different principles. And, you know, we're all prone to do that. If you're a Barnabas, oh, you go to the grace thing real quick. If you're a Paul, you go to the commitment thing real quick and camp on that. And we, we need the balance of all of Scripture. But in some cases, of course, as I'll point out in a moment, if the principle is basic to who you are and how you operate, then you may need to part ways in a friendly way and work separately. Now, maybe you're thinking, uh, what if you can't part ways because you're married to this person? Okay, well, then you need to apply this third principle or third question, and that is, is God trying to develop some godly character qualities in me through the conflict? You know, sometimes in grace and I think in God's humor, he puts us together with people who are very different than we are to sandpaper our rough edges. And, you know, you got to face it. I don't need patience, forbearance, gentleness, and kindness when everyone agrees with me. I mean, then they're all in my camp. I don't need to be patient or kind or gracious or anything. And I don't need to deny myself when the other person just thinks I'm wonderful. It's when there's a conflict that i got to learn, oh, wow, you know, I, I need to judge my own selfishness there and my stubbornness. And so um, the point is don't bail out of the relationship too quickly. God may have lessons for you to learn godly character qualities for you to develop in the conflict. A fourth question to ask is, is this a preference issue, a sin issue, a conscience issue, or a wisdom issue? I got that list from Stuart Scott in his book, The Exemplary Husband. I noticed some of the um, his little booklet on resolving conflict is still out on the book table. You might want to pick them up. It's just a short little chapter out of his exemplary husband. But if it's a preference issue, he prefers that, I prefer this, well, why not yield? No big deal. If it's a sin issue, then gently you have to come alongside and help the other person see their sin, confront that with them in a way that will help restore them and bring them to repentance. If it's a conscience issue on your part, I just can't do that in good conscience. You need to explain to the other person that you're not judging him for his behavior, but here's where your conscience is in the Lord. Or if he in good conscience can't go your direction, then you don't judge him. You just uh, give him blessing and don't force him to go against his conscience. If it's a wisdom issue, then... Both parties probably need to get into the Word and say, what does the Word of God really teach on this? What principles would we be going against if we don't apply this particular principle? And uh, if you, you still can't come to agreement after working through all of that, again, maybe you need to decide, all right, well, you do that, I'll do this. But when you do that, be careful that when His way doesn't work, You don't gloat and say, I told you so. You know, I knew your way wouldn't work. Uh, You can't go there. The fifth question to ask is, is God trying to teach me 
the beauty of the body of Christ. Uh, the fact that we are all one body, but we're different parts, different members with different functions. One time I heard uh, church consultant Carl George tell a story about a church where he went to consult and the church was having conflict. He pulled into the parking lot and had to wait in line. The cars were lined up to get into the parking lot. And uh, he said there were young families by the droves just filling the auditorium and the Sunday school classes. And as he talked around, he found out that many of them were new in their faith. They had just come to Christ. Uh, They liked the fellowship there. They liked the worship. They liked the pastor's warm and friendly messages. But the pastor was discouraged and ready to um, resign because some of the more mature saints in the church were critical of his uh, preaching. These people taught adult Sunday school classes. And uh, when Dr. George talked to them, they complained, eh, weak teaching. You know, nobody can grow on that kind of pabulum. They, they were really down on the pastor's messages. And Dr. George helped those critics see that they had the gift of teaching. The pastor was more gifted in, in evangelism and encouragement. And that the pastor was really the one who was bringing in these droves of young families who needed what the teachers could teach them. If they only saw it, if he wasn't around, they wouldn't have anybody to teach. And, you know, the opposite can work too, I suppose, in churches maybe where the pastor's gifted in teaching but not evangelism. The evangelists in the church can say, oh, nobody's coming to faith in that church. Well, they're supposed to be the ones out there reaching people and bringing them in for the teaching. And Dr. George made a very interesting observation I've never forgotten, even though this was decades ago I heard him. He said, you can often tell a person's spiritual gift by what they criticize. You ever think about that? Somebody says, oh, maybe a woman says, this is an uncaring church. You know what her gift is? Mercy. She, she has a gift of mercy, and she looks around and says, nobody else is caring for these people. Or, you know, maybe somebody says, this is the most disorganized church I've ever seen in my life. What's his gift? Administration. You know, he, he can get things organized. That's his gift. So the point is, if you're having a personality or methodology clash with somebody... Listen to what the person is criticizing. You may discover, you know, that's his gift. And if you can get him involved in serving in his gift and you can serve in a compatible way, the body of Christ will be much stronger uh, as you work together. So God may be trying to teach us the beauty of the body whenever there's a methodology personality conflict. So first of all, recognize then that Even godly mature saints can have these kinds of differences. Secondly, um, you may uh, need to identify what is the real nature of the difficulty. And then thirdly, to maintain unity, you need to judge your pride and your anger and, and try to talk through the issues with a spirit of humility and love. And here I'm going to deal with the question, who was right 
in this conflict between Paul and Barnabas. Uh, Luke, who was obviously close to Paul, he traveled with Paul, he ministered with Paul. He doesn't blame Barnabas, and so we need to be careful in blaming him. He doesn't blame Paul. I would say a slight nod goes to Paul in that at the end of the story, um, Barnabas chooses Mark and sails away, but the church um, commits Paul and Silas to the grace of the Lord and sends him away. So maybe a slight thing there in Paul's favor, but I'm going to say I think both men were right as subsequent history um, proved. Paul was right because Paul was a rugged pioneer. He went into tough places, and he needed somebody with him who wasn't going to run in the heat of battle. Mark had not proven himself yet to be that kind of man, and so I think Paul was right. Mark shouldn't go with me. I think Barnabas was right in that he saw in Mark undeveloped potential. With a little nurture, this young man can be effective in ministry. And so he wanted to extend grace to him in spite of his um, earlier mistake. And I think history proved him right in that we have the Gospel of Mark in our Bible. And also the Apostle Paul later affirmed uh, Mark to the Colossian church, told them to accept him. And then in his final imprisonment, the last letter Paul wrote in the last chapter, he tells Timothy, pick up Mark and bring him with you because he's useful to me in ministry. So Barnabas' efforts to reclaim Mark paid off. So both men were right. I'm also going to suggest, though, I think both men were wrong in the way they um, dealt with this disagreement. I think they fell into sinful anger. Um, They both dug in their heels. They were stubborn. They were not gracious to one another in the conflict. Uh, I think they could could be reported here. They graciously agreed to differ. They prayed for one another and commended each other and went off that. That would be the ideal scenario. When it says a sharp disagreement occurred, the uh, word is the same one Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 13.5 when he says, love is not provoked. These guys were provoked with one another. They were ticked off with each other and angry. And uh, I don't think either one of them were following what Paul later directed in in Colossians 3.12, where he says we're to put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience uh, toward one another. So it may have been God's will for the two men to separate and go their separate ways. I don't think it was God's will for them to separate in the manner in which they did through this heated quarrel. Uh, Two practical observations here. First of all, a person's greatest strengths are often the area of that same person's greatest weaknesses. Paul's strength was his resolute commitment to follow Christ and preach the gospel of Christ no matter what the cost. And he stood firm. I mean, you could beat Paul. You could throw Paul in prison You could uh, stone him on one occasion. You could shipwreck him. And he got up and kept preaching Christ. That was Paul. 
You know, nothing would stop the man. Uh, Paul's weakness was his resolute commitment because he couldn't tolerate somebody who wasn't in the same camp as he. You couldn't, he, he just, somebody like Mark, nah, he's not, not there. And so he missed bringing this young man along who Barnabas proved him to be a very faithful and godly young man eventually. He just needed some nurture. Barnabas's great strength was his ability to pick up the hurting, the weak, the faint-hearted, to encourage them, to bring them along, to be gracious to them. Terrific strength. Um, but he erred on the side of being gracious when he should have confronted. Remember the story that Paul tells in Galatians 2, how uh, when the Judaizers came to Antioch, Peter, and he says, even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy, uh, suddenly said, oh, we can't eat with the Gentiles because we don't want to offend the Judaizers. And Paul confronted both men and uh, showed that they were not true to the gospel by compromising. And so Barnabas's strength of being an encourager, full of grace toward those who need it, was his weakness of not being ready to confront error when he needed to. So the lesson is this, know yourself. Where are you strong? Okay, by God's grace, exercise that gift. But be careful, because you're probably weak in the same area, and you'll get into sin if you're not on guard. The second observation is that since God often and always uses imperfect earthen vessels in his service. Don't put too much trust in men, but trust in God who alone is perfect. Uh, You just can't find two more godly, dedicated men of God than Paul and Barnabas. Those guys are at the top of the heap. And yet, here they are clashing. And you know, you can go through the Bible, and every great man of God had his weaknesses and his moments of failure. Uh, with almost no exceptions, maybe Daniel being the only one in the whole of the Bible that we don't read of some, some fault there with the man. There is a proper place, of course, for trusting in the leaders God puts over us in the local church. They should be men of repu- good reputation, men of integrity, and so on. So we should trust them, but not to the extent that we are just blown away if they um, fail in some way. Because all of us are not there. We're not perfect. And we make mistakes. Um, That should encourage you, though. Because sometimes we hesitate to serve because we think, well, I'm not there. I'm not perfect. And I confess that for years I've often thought, Every week, maybe there's a different line of work I could do, you know? I just am overwhelmed with being a pastor. And uh, by God's grace, today is the 25th anniversary of when I started at this church. And he carries me every week. I feel like I'm walking on water, but um, don't applaud me. It's. I hope you're clapping for the Lord because I... uh, I would have resigned a long time ago if it was up to me. 
And what I'm saying is, you can serve the Lord. As long as there's no known sin in your heart, you're not perfect, and neither am I. So just do what the Lord gives you the opportunity of doing and uh, get involved. The, the last principle I want to mention is to maintain unity, if we can't work out our differences, we need to continue serving the Lord separately. Uh, I am encouraged that it doesn't say in verse 41, Paul was traveling through Syria and Cilicia, bad-mouthing Barnabas about his faults. No, he was going on strengthening the churches. He was serving the Lord, so was Barnabas and Mark. Uh, and, you know, there are just times where we have to recognize that and maybe part with mutual respect, without bitterness or acrimony. I wish there was a word here that Paul and Barnabas had patched it up, but I think the way Paul later speaks favorably of Barnabas and Mark shows that he thought highly of them and uh, recognized their usefulness to the Lord. As I pointed out several weeks back, unity doesn't mean that we all agree on every secondary level doctrine. Now, we all agree on the core. There's a core of doctrines that if you deny them, you're, you're a heretic. You're not a Christian. We all agree on the core, but there's this outer sphere of doctrines and practices that godly men differ on, and we need charity there. Uh, on the non-essentials. And then there are many differences over methods. And again, some methods are so worldly that they need to be criticized, granted. But then there are methods that I go, well, that's not the way I would do it. But God is using that brother. And, you know, may the Lord continue to bless him. I just can't do it that way. I've got to do it this way. And that's okay. There are those kinds of differences. And we need to be charitable again. Uh, there was a famous British admiral named Lord Nelson. One day he came on the deck of his ship and two of his top officers were quarreling. He grabbed them and whirled them around and pointed to the enemy ships and he said, Gentlemen, there is the enemy. There is the enemy. And we need to keep that in mind when we face personality and methodology differences in the church. Uh, we're not the enemy, unless it's heresy or some, some serious, serious error. The enemy is out there, and we're all on the same team, and we're all members of the same body, and we're all committed to proclaiming the same gospel. And so if possible, we need to sit down and work through our personality and methodology differences in a spirit of love and, and uh, unity with one another. And if we can't do that, we may need in a friendly and brotherly way to agree to work separately and yet still affirm one another's gifts, one another's contributions to the cause of Jesus Christ. Let's bow together before him. Dear Father, you know our hearts. You know if there are any conflicts going on in this church, in all the churches, in Flagstaff that uh, are seeking to proclaim your gospel. I pray that there would be the peace of Christ ruling in every heart. I pray that 
we would be an example of love and unity to this quarreling world we live in, that we could talk through matters in a brotherly way that would um, not lead to any rancor or heated disputes that would uh, question one another's motives or love for you. I pray, Lord, that uh, if any don't know Jesus and the peace that he brings between the sinner and the sa- and God, that Jesus is the only Savior, that their trust today would be in Jesus, that they would see their desperate need for one who can reconcile them to a holy God. Thank you that Christ died for our sins that he was raised from the dead, that he is coming back victorious over all. So I pray that we'll all this week be committed to your cause of seeing lost people reconciled to you by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.